title. I also hear that you had to climb back up the ladder to get to Sweet Heat. Why? Because we're also TT, top tier. No one's on our level. We're the champs, baby. Keep watching greatness. We are the greatest thing WoW has ever seen. Because you can't outgame us, and you sure can't outfame us. Definitely can't outfame us. And you know, I'm getting so tired of hearing about the Tonga twins and how strong and how powerful they are. But you know, there's one thing that I don't hear the word winner. Why? Because, Sweet Heat, we're the winners, and that's exactly what we're going to do to you again. Win, win, win! We are at the top of the ladder. We are the WOW Tag Team Champions, and this belt is going nowhere, Tonga. So you play it! And we're going to walk out there like money, money, money! And these championship titles are going to stay around our beautiful, skinny waist. Get tea! So bring it, and we'll see you there. You know, and we all have our 15 minutes of fame, and I'd like to take a couple of my 15 minutes to talk about the rights and the wrongs in the world of professional wrestling. This match is for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Rights and Wrongs, the Pro Wrestling Podcast. This is your host, Mr. Green, and, well, what do you know, it's been 50 weeks, almost a full year, for WOW Women of Wrestling. This is the absolute longest run that they have had on Well, they've already bypassed their longest run, Mark, but... The fact that they made it up to 50 episodes, they have really gotten uh, some legs underneath them. This is the longest run of episodes that they've had in any incarnation of this show. From 2001 to present day. And I know some people out there are like, 2001? Yeah, WoW existed back in 2001. It just didn't last long because of, they did the same thing that they were that they had been doing up until this point they would do a season and then they would stop and you know whatever and those stopping of the seasons never really worked out for them so somebody somewhere decided that they just need to keep on going like every other wrestling company in the world and and lo and behold it seems to work out for them so it is episode 50 we are almost at a full year of wow and whatever it is that they do uh so congratulations to them i think this kind of in entitles or or requires a year in review for everything that they've done and you know maybe 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 i'll i'll work on that but uh before we get into review let's get into some news and notes and and i have to say you know i'm i'm i got my coffee here so that I can uh, get me some some caffeine and a burst of energy, because as I'm recording this, it is almost 4 a.m. in the morning. 
That is correct. It is almost four o'clock in the morning where I am because I've been busy all day long. And I did not want to shortchange myself because I don't want to do this tomorrow. <laughs> so I say, all right, let's 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 get juiced up with some caffeine and hit it. So here we are. So the first thing I want to bring up is Mickey James has returned to the ring. Good on her. You know, she had to step down in March from Impact Wrestling due to her injury. I think she she but she had a last match in March and then she relinquished the title in April. And I know one of the things that they had going on at the time was, you know, you can't do this match, but we'll wait till next month. And if it, by next month you can't do it, then, you know, you have to vacate the title, which is what she did. Uh, so in any case, it's been a while since Mickey Jane, Mickey James, let me say her name right. Says Mickey James has been in the wrestling ring and she made her return at Rev Pro. She took a skip across the pond and she stepped into Rev Pro and had her match. Now, this was a mixed tag match that she was in, but it is still the first match that she's had back in some time. So, bravo to her. That she was able to make a, a, a recovery and, and get back in this thing. I think she faced off against Alex Windsor and Hyann and a triple threat. Well, I, sh- I, just, I shouldn't say mixed tag. I am incorrect there. I apologize. It was a it was a triple threat for the Rev Pro British Women's Championship. So there you have it. Now I'm sure that she pretty much probably felt great i mean if you looked at her um i believe this is her twitter well do we call it twitter anymore i mean it's such a stupid thing to say x ah well i tell you that that elon musk boy he he might be a genius in some things but this is not one of them anyway that that's a whole different thing um so i want to read a little bit of what she said and um her return in an interview post, you know, in the post-match interview. Uh, this is from her uh, interview with Muscleman Malcolm. I feel good. I think it was a reset I needed. That I didn't really need a break, if you will. That I d- didn't really understand. Basically, saying, you know, her, her body told her to slow down. <laughs> and she did. And, I, and now that she was forced into doing it, she... Uh, Uh, got backs but she continues and says I felt like I was doing great and really on a roll it kind of sucked in the moment but actually having time off and being able to spend the summer with Donovan that's her child and take time to let the bone heal correctly we had this desire we feel like we need to oh no I can just keep going keep going spiritually I think too I needed a little time a little break I'm feeling good now that entire interview is available for you to find. I think all you need to do is look up Muscle, uh, what, what did I say, Muscle Man Malcolm, and you can listen to the entirety of that interview. But uh, Mickey James has returned. She's back. And so, bravo. We're happy to, to hear that. Uh, as I'm recording this, all, which one was it? All Out has, has, uh, has taken place. And we got ourselves a, was that was all out. No, it was all in. All in. 
All in was at Wembley Stadium in London, England. And uh, congratulations to Soraya. She she won the Women's World Championship in her home. I guess I'd say home country. I was going to say a hometown, but she, this is her home country. Uh, in front of, and AEW has made this very clear. They're standing on their, their uh, record. The largest paying audience for pro wrestling and wrestling history. Now, I'm sure there are some people going to be like, how is that even possible? WWE did that all the time. Look at WrestleMania. You got to keep in mind, and this has been noted on a couple of occasions, even by you know some of the, um, the wrestling media, is that a lot of the reason that they get these, these crazy numbers is that they inflate them. And they being the WWE, they inflate the numbers by adding in not just paying customers. They add in the people that they gave comp tickets to. They gave, they add in the people that's working behind the scenes with WWE. They add in the people that's working in the building. They add in some of the people allegedly that just hang, that are outside of the building working like the parking lot and whatnot. So even though. The WWE lists themselves as we broke an attendance record at 100,000 or whatever it happens to be. Um, when you include all of those, the, the, the workers, the, the comp tickets, and whatever else that may be in there, it may not necessarily be, you know, 100,000 people as they, you know, over 100,000 people as they said at the, at the last WrestleMania that they was calling like, oh, we've shattered the world record. Tony Khan or somebody within Tony Khan's camp was very specific about saying that this is the largest paying audience. So everybody that they counted bought a ticket. And side note, you have to know, you have got to know that the WWE is going to do everything in their power to break that. <laughs> you have to know that they're going to try to do this. I don't know when, probably most likely WrestleMania because that's the event that they can really kind of pack people in and stick them in the stadium. But you got to know that if, if that got around to Vince McMahon by any stretch of the imagination, he is going to lose his, his damn mind and try to break that record one way or the other. But anyway, getting back to the point, that's, that's just a side note. Uh Soraya did win the championship. I was concerned about it. I watched the match. I, I know that she says her, her neck and her back are you know, feeling better. But, man, I, I, I got to say, even knowing that it still kind of puts me on edge watching her wrestle sometimes. Because there are points in the matches, and I'm not saying that this is one of them, but there's points in the matches where... She seemingly avoids taking, you know, major bumps, and she probably needs to do that. Uh, when you looked at this one at the beginning of it, she didn't really go down all that much. Although she did take some pretty big bumps there. The most notable that I can think of off the top of my head was Akara Shida coming off the top rope with a missile dropkick and just drilling um, Soraya. That was a pretty big bump. But I am I shouldn't say shocked. I just get I just get a question about the nerves when she's in there because they're like, man, she's 
there was a point in time where she felt like she was made of tissue paper, and I don't know if I'd want to see her get in the ring and, and get screwed up. Any given time you go into a wrestling match, regardless of what people think about wrestling, and I know there's a lot of people that's out there who, uh, you know, not like us, we're generally wrestling fans. If you listen to this, you're obviously a wrestling fan, and, and more specifically a women's wrestling fan. But... Um, any given day that you or night that you're in a wrestling ring, you, there's the possibility of injury, regardless of what people like. Oh, it's fake. It was choreographed. Is that whatever the outside world may think of it? Wrestling is a brutal, physical contact sport, and it can break bones, and it has broken bones. Um, so just knowing that is kind of like woof. I'm glad she made it through, and I hope that she continues to do well. And it gave her maybe the biggest moment of her wrestling career. Possibly. She won that, and she won it in front of a huge crowd with her parents and, you know, know, brothers at ringside. And they got to hop the rail at the end and come on in and give her a big hug and everything. So I'm... I'm sure that that was probably a dream of a lifetime for her. And she deserves congratulations. Now, <clears throat> it should also be noted that Mercedes Monet was shown in the crowd at All In, where they're going to go with that. If they go somewhere with that, don't know. But she was there. And she is a free agent. She can go where she wants and she can do what she wants. So if she pops up and it, AEW for any given reason to go after the championship. Let us not be surprised. Uh, Tony Khan was asked about the lack of women um, following, you know, the the show with their, you know, how they like to have their all in media scrums and and what have you. Um, Lyric Swinton of Women's Wrestle Talk asked him a question. Which is essentially why didn't we see any other women there? And why was there only one women's match on the card? I <laughs> I would like to say that Tony Khan answered the question, but there there's a portion of me is like, did he really though? You know that it kind of reminds me of what I said about some of these promos that took place in a while. I was like, there, there's a a real method of them saying a lot of things but not really saying all that much. And although there is an answer in here, I don't know if it answers why you didn't see any of the, you know, the other women and why you didn't have another match necessarily, especially considering that this show sold without having a match announced. But here was his answer, or at least it's a, a, a portion of his answer. As to why they only had one women's match and um, why there were no other uh, other women on the show. I think the pacing of the show tonight was probably the best we've ever had, the best show we've ever done. So I think adding any more would, be, would have been challenging. Also, we have so many stars across both the men's and women's divisions, great wrestlers. I tried to pace it perfectly, and I think we did pretty great. So, 
And he has a longer version of that. I want to say that first. Because you can go and you can seek it out and you can listen to the entirety of it. But that snippet, he basically was saying that the show was built perfectly in the way that it was presented. In his words, the pacing. And having any other match thrown into that would ruin the pacing of the show. That, I guess, sounds like a reasonable answer, but I don't know if it answers why Athena or Willow Nightingale or Chris Statlander were not there. Um, and it also, for me, doesn't necessarily answer like, all right, well, what about the opening of the show? You know, what, what about that? Is that not a, uh, is that part of the pacing as well to have the, you know, the, the free pre-show meet up with everything that's going on here that you couldn't squeeze in a women's match in that one? I would tend to think that you can, but I'm not there looking over his roster of what he wants to accomplish. Tony Khan has had a lot of criticism as it relates to his women's wrestling division. I mean, this, the pay-per-view is one thing, but this is pretty much a common occurrence in that you basically have about one women's match in any given show that he does. Um, in most of the pay-per-views and in pretty much whatever TV show is doing, Collision, Rampage, Dynamite, uh, it is, it's, uh, I can't say it's a mystery, but it's, but I can't think of anything better to say. It's, it's a mystery as to why he, he doesn't perceive it that way. Why he doesn't figure them to be, uh, worth putting in. Maybe the numbers are saying it. Maybe the numbers are saying they're a poor segment on the show. I don't know. I, I should probably try to look it up. And if that's the case, then he probably should do something else to circumvent that and try to help this out. But as it is right now, there are two things we got it as. One, they still got some work to do on their entire division. I don't understand why they got two different women's championships on that show, but that's a whole different thing. And the second thing is congratulations to Soraya for winning the women's championship in AEW. I guess now it's going to be a question of how long is she going to hold on to this thing? How long is she going to hold on to this thing? And will it be a significant run? Time will tell. Uh, other news that's going on, and I want to definitely make sure that I get this one out. Gail Kim and Awesome Kong are going to make a return for one more time to the ring. Now, why would they do this exactly? Because Impact Wrestling is going to be putting on Impact 1000, their 1,000th episode, which has shown that Awesome Kong will be coming back for that episode. Gail Kim did a promo which essentially said, if Awesome Kong is coming back for the 1,000th episode of Impact, then I'm coming back too. And she was my greatest rival. Now she's going to be my greatest partner. And she essentially said that anybody else that is stepping into, into that position of that match, 
you're either going to be with them or you're going to be against them. So, so there you have it. Um, I do believe that they have some uh, – who do they say that's, that's going to tag with them? Uh, I got to scroll up now. Honey. Hang on. Uh, is it Perrazzo? Deanna Perrazzo. Nope, 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 nope. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Look at that wrong thing. Trinity and Jordan Grace. Trinity and Jordan Grace are to team with Gail Kim and Awesome Kong. So that should be interesting. And I think there is still a fifth spot available for them uh, as, as I'm looking at the graphic. The graphic shows that it's going to be a five-on-five, five, which is also going to feature the return of the beautiful people, which is maybe the most uh, celebrated female faction in women's wrestling. And, and I say that with all due respect to Pretty Empowered. I say that with all due respect to the Fabulous Four. But the beautiful people have been around for, gosh, it had to been since at least about 2006 in some incarnation or another. And they've done this for a long time. You know, not just a long time, and seemingly across – Various promotions, even if they change the name, and I and by they I should say, uh, uh, not Velvet Sky, Angelina Love. So you've got that. It, it, it should be interesting to see where that goes. The lineup right now for this five on five is listed as Trinity. Jordan Grace, Awesome Kong with right Rush. Ah, damn, I can't even say her name. Raisha Saeed, <laughs> so, uh, aka cheerleader Melissa, and Gail Kim. And they have question marks for the final person. So we don't know who the fifth member is going to be at the moment. But their opponents are going to be. And this is why I was reading Deanna Perrazzo. Deanna Perrazzo, Giselle Shaw, Savannah Evans, Angelina Love, with Velvet Sky, and uh, I can't even see the other person that he got in the corner. So they also have a fifth partner who is yet to be named. So I was already interested in looking at the uh, the thousands episode of Impact. Quite honestly, I I thought that they had been a fine promotion. They they made some terrible decisions. I give you that, but I thought there was a fine promotion. They just whatever reason they managed to work themselves backwards and got off of a major broadcast platform and then kind of work themselves down to access TV. Which, you know, good for them that they're still on television. And that's one thing that Impact Wrestling can never be doubted on. They have fought to stay on the air one way or the other. And they've done it. For over 20 years now, they have fought to be on television one way or the other. Uh, So, yeah, I'm interested in that. And I'm interested in as a sidebar for just all the other people that's popping back up. I mean, it's reading like it's going to be a fun show. Uh, Tracy Brooks is also coming back. She's going to be teaming up with her husband, Frankie Kazarian. And uh, their opponents are going to be the also husband-wife duo of Eddie and Alicia Edwards, who 
Alicia Edwards, also a former wild superhero, as uh, sassy, massy, or something ridiculous like that. So you have got a lot of wrestling news and great wrestling that's coming up. Also, I guess we should point out, even though this isn't women's wrestling news, uh, Team 3D is scheduled to return at Impact 1000. So, hey, it, it, it should be something interesting to watch. So let's move on. I think I've covered a lot of the outside news at this point. Uh, all the big things. Uh, that and um, I, I guess I should mention this. As of this recording, uh, Bianca Belair reportedly is going to be absent due to requested time off. Now, they have not um, specified the reasons that she's going to be, and the timetable as it is recorded, reported right now is uncertain. Uh, Fightful Select has heard diff- differing reasons as to how long she could be out, ranging from weeks to under a month. Um, so it's, it's going to be, you know, it's, it's going to be a little bit of time. I mean, it, it, they're basically saying it could be a short period of time. It could be a long period of time. I mean, it, it could just be that she just needs a break because she had been – Working and working pretty hard for for the last couple of weeks, months, really. And this may just be the little sidebar, the little time out that she needs. But again, it has not been reported as to why necessarily she's um, being taken off TV. She just is. And she was written off after a backstage attack by damage control. So that is the explanation as to why she would not be on television. But the explanation behind the scenes, again, that's kind of up in the air. And I I keep running across these little bit of notes that I had down and I forgot to talk about. Um, After 812 days, 812 days, Camille, the former NWA Women's World's Champion, lost to Kenzie Page, who is the new reigning NWA Women's World Champion, and she won that at NWA 75 on night two. It was an up-and-down weekend for her from what I had read, and I really wanted to watch this, but she walked into the pay-per-view on night one as the NWA Women's Television Champion, and she was brutalized and lost that championship to uh, Max the Impaler. She came out later on in that night, about uh, just a hair under an hour later, and she participated in the Burke Invitational Battle Royal, and she won that Battle Royal. Meanwhile, Camille uh, wrestled and defended and and uh, defeated Natalie Markova to retain on night one. This is where we go into night two because uh, – Paige, not Paige. I know she she goes by Kenzie Henry Page or however she has her little three three word name, but she um she came back the following night and she dethroned Camille, who is now in the top uh, uh, ten longest reigns of NWA Women's Champions ever, 
And that's, that's covering a lot of ground and a lot of decades. But this was, uh, this was Kenzie's night. And she is somebody also who should be applauded for her career up to this point. She has been one half of the NWA Women's Tag Team Champions, along with her uh, former tag team partner at the time, Ella Envy. Then they added in a new member for Pretty Empower, which freed up Kenzie to pursue singular goal. She was the television champion, the women's television champion, as I just said. And up until the first night of the NWA, she held on to that title. She lost the title one night, came back and won another one the next night. So this is one of those things I'm like, this is the faction that I like. And if you have not seen the, I forget what their specific name for it was, but it was it's a match where they had just a, a no-holds-barred street fight between Pretty Empowered and their opponents that night. That is how a street fight with women wrestlers should go. That is the way it should happen. And if you haven't seen it, you should seek it out. Just look at women's street fight NWA. And you should be able to pull that up. But that right there, that match right there, puts any street fight, no holes barred, whatever type of non-rule match that Wise ever created or participated in, it puts it to shame. It puts it to absolute shame. Because of how hard-hitting they were. It's like they went out of their way to prove that they belonged. And they did it. And it's when I see matches like that that make me pull back on how I feel about anything that goes on in WoW when they say, like, this is going to be a brawl or whatever the case may be. It never lives up to the hype. Speaking of not living up to the hype, let's get up to the show. And let's get into the show and the matches. This episode is not vastly different than um, what we are used to, what we, we generally get with WoW. And by that I mean, I've said before, they have a bit of a template. And their template tends to be, we're going to recap what, what went on, we're going to talk about you know the, the last week's main event, and then we'll go into... Uh, what this week's main event is going to be. So it, it, it's one of these, one of those things. And this one was no different. And this is just how it goes. So we can't be shocked or surprised. This is just, you know, what they do and how they do it. Sorry. Had to get a little swig of coffee there. So let's go to the first match. First one being Exile. And Ice Cold. I don't know why they just don't include her in exile now. She's partnered up with them enough. Just be part of the group at this point. So it's exile and Ice Cold taking on the Bully Busters slash new generation of WoW. I don't know what they want to call this, but it's Jennifer Flores, it's Steffi Slays, and Keita Rush. This is, uh, 
I have grown into being a fan of Exile. I, I, I fully admit that. I don't know if they get what they need in order to advance within that company. Uh, they have yet to explain where Malaya Hosaka went. They haven't had anybody say we kicked out of the group or she decided to leave or she felt like we were fine on her own. Nothing. It just, Malaya Hosaka's gone and it was unexplained and it just went away. And all they do now when they reference her is they don't reference her by name. They reference her like they, they were brought in by a legend, which is fair. I, you know, I don't blame the commentators for that because they, they can't really keep promoting Malayo Osaka if Malayo Osaka isn't there or, you know, I mean, they probably could. <laughs> I don't, that, they really aren't losing anything. But I can understand just on the principle of we don't want to keep promoting it, especially if there was some falling out. I'm not saying that's what happened, but especially if there was some sort of falling out, they probably just don't want to bring it up. So, but no, I, I like them as a unit. I think that they have advanced. I don't think that they're quite there yet, but they continue to grow and they continue to get better. And this is the best that I've seen Ice Cold. Ice Cold within the group of exile seems to fit. Before she just was kind of bounced around and she seemed like the odd person out in the teams or wherever she was at. And she always came across as so much smaller and tiny than everybody else. With with Exile, for whatever reason, it's like she has grown into this group. And she works hard within this group. So I, I, I enjoy them. I wish they had more behind them. I wish they got the chance to do more. I wish they had a, a proper direction in front of them but as it is right now just on what they are i think they're they're fine um so let's go into the match that this is the first match this is an all tag team match an all tag team episode by the way it's either six person or or standard tag but it's all tag team matches so <clears throat> we've got exile Starting off with the baby faces. And Exodus started with uh, Steffi Slays. Very, very crisp, very crisp arm drag that she did. I think Genesis came in. They almost started off like a baby face team. <laughs> like they came in and just arm dragged Steffi Slays and tagged the next one. Next one arm dragged her. And then Ice Cold gets tagged in. She takes a headlock, take down us. Like Steffi just walked into a series of problems. <laughs> uh, I expected that the other way around, but it worked for Steffi because it is the old, you do it to me a couple of times, and then she gets to, boom, come back, and she does the same thing in succession to Ice Cold. Arm drag, arm drag, headlock, takeover. So no problems there. No, it, the, the match, again, for... The individuals involved, because I believe that most of them are not necessarily wrestlers that go and hit the the circuit every weekend or, you know, wrestle as much as possible. Steffi Slays and Keita Russ specifically I'm, I'm talking about. 
and maybe Ice Cold because I have not found, uh, well, not just Ice Cold, Exile in general. I have not found any indication that they do anything outside of WoW as of yet, but I hope they do, and it really wouldn't surprise me if they did. One thing that I think happened here, and I I cannot prove this, but I believe that Exodus saved Keita Rush from a bad botch. I mean, Keita Rush got the tag and she ran across and it looked like she was going to go for what would have been a uh, flying head scissors. And maybe it was meant to be this way. It, it just looked kind of awkward. But when she goes up for it, Exodus catches her and whips her around and just turns it into like a power slam. So either that was a a pre-planned spot that went off without a hitch or Exodus was quick on her feet. Oof, that was a hiccup, sorry. Uh, or Exodus was quick on her feet. Let's get that out. And was able to turn what was a bad situation into a good one. I mean, and she is not for nothing getting some execution down to what she does. Did a, a, a pancake slam on Flores, and it, it just, in my opinion, just fantastic execution there. Flores did a good job of selling everything. I said in one of the uh, previous episodes pertaining to Flores that she's good at what she does, and she has for better or worse, settled into the role of being the resident punching bag of WoW. I'm not not saying that to be mean, but I'm saying she oftentimes is there to uh, take the fall, make the make the opposition look good, you know, things like that. And she does a fine job with it. So I I don't want to discount her ability or or any of their abilities. They, they, they try pretty hard, but sometimes, sometimes you have these matches that I was like, you know, they probably did not need to have this on national television. <laughs> it should have been in a indie show or a gym or something somewhere. But uh this is the match that uh this was this was for exile. This was for exile here. Um when they got the chance to show some tandem moves, some weren't all that crisp, I, I will admit. As much as I may like them, it's, it's like they're still ironing out what tandem moves we can use and what we can't, what looks good, what doesn't. And it takes me right back to what I was saying. Like These are the things that if you had, I mean, I can't expect them to do house shows. But if Exile was working elsewhere off TV, that'd be a great time to, to practice that. That'd be a great time to try it. I don't think that this is the time for that because as as some of those tandem moves sound like they would be good on paper, I don't think they execute quite as well in practice. So anyway, uh, but they were decent tandem moves from Exile. Getting towards the end, and and it should be noted that Ice Cold did a fine job here as well. I no longer see her as some sort of outcast to the group or a weak link 
Damn, did I say that? A wink, weak link. Damn, say it right. <laughs> so I no longer view her as either one of those things. She seems to do very well within that group. That's why I'm like, you know, this this may be where she belongs. And if that's the case, it might do well for them to change her outfit, at least the color scheme. Uh, Exile's in all black and she's in blue and silver. You know, just at least add a little black to the outfit. You know, maybe on the trim or something like that. You ain't got to get rid of the blue and the, and the silver or the blue and the white or whatever it is. <laughs> but at least add a little black to it so that she looks like she's within the group. I mean, officially within the group. So at the end of the match, we've got uh, Slays and Flores who are taken out on the outside. Assumably uh, by Ex- I mean not, uh, not Exodus Genesis. I don't know how she managed to get both of them, but she she certainly cut down on uh, slaves. Meanwhile, in the ring, you've got Ice Cold being catapulted over her partner and on top of Keita Rush to drop an elbow. It, it, it's another one of those moments when I've said. It kind of sounds good on paper. Didn't really land with me in execution. I understood where they were going with it, and I know that they needed their own, you know, finish. I probably would say, let's try something else. I don't, I don't know if this works well, but again, good, on, good on paper. Maybe not so much in execution. But that was all it took. The catapulted elbow drop onto the chest and sternum of Keita Rush and there you have it. Exile wins and they win clean. They didn't use any foreign objects or or cheat the referee or anything like that. It was it was a clean win. After the match, they cut a promo. The promo largely seems like it's aimed at David McLean demanding title shots. And they're complaining about a lack of opportunity. Now, I do not know if they've even attempted to go after the tag titles before. I would assume not since they're a heel team. And the heels had the tag team titles preceding this. Uh, It was largely uh, Miami's sweet heat. And I don't believe that during that brief period of time that Coach Campanelli and Rara were the tag team champions. I don't think Exile went after them either. <laughs> so I don't know where the complaint is, but you know, let's let's go with it. They have not had the opportunity to to get the tag titles. You know, they could always spin that around and say, you know, we we tried to work up the ranks. We did everything we were supposed to do. We we stayed quiet. But every time that we win, we don't see our names getting pushed up on the in the leaderboard or we don't go up in the rankings or anything like that. We've earned a title shot and we haven't got it. Something along those lines. Uh, this is maybe the closest I've heard them to a proper promo and something that wasn't necessarily a, a string of nonsense. They actually had a a goal and what they wanted and how they wanted it. We want the championship. We want opportunities. We want to be the, the, we're good enough to be the tag team champions. And then of course, like I said, all of this is aimed at David McLean, which goes back to, I feel 
he needs to step away from that commentating booth. Despite the fact that AJ Mendez is leaving, get somebody else to fill that spot. But he needs to leave that commentating booth and just be the matchmaker guy. Just do that. He doesn't need to have to do every other job that Wow has. He don't have to be the in-ring interviewer and the lead commentator and the matchmaker. He doesn't have to do all of those things. Get somebody else in there to do it. So, but in this case, his matchmaker hat is on, and he's like, "What are you talking about? You're getting opportunities. You had a great match. You know, just just has a back and forth with them." I I hope that this does not become Exile versus David McLean because that's what it feels like it might go to because it is the same thing that Lana Starr did years ago with David McClain where her feud wasn't with any person. It was a feud with David McClain. It was like every week she came out there complaining about this is the Lana Starr show and I'm taking over and blah, blah, blah. And it never went anywhere. It was just her versus David McClain and there was no out to that, which is why I'm like, I hope that that doesn't repeat just for the sake of I want to be on TV. And, you know, they can have something to complain to me about. They need to just move on from that. The next segment is a preview of Samantha Smart's team taking on Foxy Fierce and, you know, uh, Candy Crush, which would be the following segment after this one. G.I. Jane and the disciplinarian with Samantha Smart taking on Foxy Fierce and Candy Crush. This is apparently... uh, a feud that was built over Fierce and Crush getting marketing opportunities with WoW. This was uh, this was a poor reason to get into a feud. And this is also where this show is starting to spiral down. You had the one because there wasn't a lot of backup to that. Didn't need a lot. It was Exile and Ice Cold versus the Bully Busters and Flores. And they connected it to something else, which you which they should keep doing when this is over. Hopefully they won't drop it. But they cut a promo at the end to further Exile and what Exile's doing and who they're with and what their op, their goal is. Here, this was explained entirely by the commentating team. It's the, it's the same thing they do when they have to try to patch the holes and fill in the blanks, and this is another one. This is a fill in the, fill in the blank. Candy Crush and Fox Pierce got the chance to go worldwide and talk about wow, and Samantha Smart is mad about it. She's jealous, and she wants the opportunity for us. It's, it's a case of jealousy over silly stuff. Maybe if it was they got the opportunity to go on some major show, I could see that. Oh, my gosh. They got the chance to participate in, I don't know, Big Brother or The Challenger. Uh, they're, they're showing up at the, the, the Dragon Con convention, just the two of them. or you know, you know what I mean? Something where it could reasonably look like you have a just cause to be jealous. There's no cause for Samantha Smart, 
the disciplinarian or G.I. Jane to be jealous about Foxy Pierce and Candy Crush getting the chance to do interviews about WoW. Because I'm sure the opportunity to, to do that extends to all of them. But they're not going to say that on air because that defeats the narrative. And even if it didn't extend all of them, why should they care? Did they get paid more if they get to do these things? I doubt it. But this is what it was about. This this is what this match is built over. It's built over. I'm I'm jealous of you, and I want to I want to be able to go around and and do the uh, the the press and the media and and all this stuff. This this is about as dumb a reason to get into a wrestling match as when Booker T and Edge were having a WrestleMania match over a shampoo commercial in Japan. That was the premise of their match, a shampoo commercial. This is as this is just as silly. We're going to be mad about you going around promoting this show that we're all on and hopefully if you get people to watch it we'll all make extra money. <laughs> but I'm still mad about that. <sighs> so that was what this feud is over. And there's really no point in just going into the entirety of the match. One thing I can say that I like that they do that others do not. Uh, Sofia Lopez in particular. They come out and they are heels from the moment they come out that curtain to the moment that bell rings. At the beginning and the end. They come out mean mugging. They don't shake any hands. They frowning upon the kids and the people in the front row. You know, the Samantha Smart is giving them lip. That's what you're supposed to do. They came out as heels and they presented as heels. And I think they deserve credit for that, particularly when everybody in that show does not seemingly get the memo that you're a heel or not. So, <clears throat> without going into everything, this is a decent match. We've paired Fierce and Candy Crush off. Fierce is more or less where I expect her to be. Candy Crush is spinning her wheels. When this revamp, reboot, whatever you want to call it, started up, she was in a high-profile angle, albeit the angle was dumb, and it didn't end with any sort of conclusive means. She was at least profiled and featured quite a bit. Now she's just, she's just there. Until they find something else for her to do. Like she had a match for the championship that David McClain himself granted her, despite the fact that they said you got to go through Vicky Lynn and you got to be approved by Lana Starr. That, none of those things happened. David McClain comes in and he cried over this, that he was giving her the championship shot that she deserves. He cried on camera for that. Nothing wrong with that, but you would think that it would it would mean something like, you know, okay, well, I didn't get it. I need to be going back out to the championship, and I that's apparently not happening. 
At least not right now. <clears throat> so that's the extent of the angles and storylines that go in there. It's like this is all over a, a, a feud over marketing and Candy Crush is spinning the wheels. <laughs> Those are the, the two uh, notable points here. One of the things I would say that Foxy Fierce, if there's a if there's a portion of the match that seems like she maybe isn't paying attention, she does her dancing number. The disciplinarian comes in and charges. She Foxy ducks underneath and practically stands directly in the corner of her opposition dancing around. Fortunately for G.I. Jane, she either she thought ahead or it was planned, but she at least reached out and tried to grab her hair. Like, you're too close. Why are you in this corner? Why would you even want to be in this corner dancing around? Like, you're in danger over here. And she had no problem just going over there like it was no big deal. And, and not only went over there, but she went there all in their corner. So, again, you know, that that could very well have been something that they planned to do. It didn't seem like it. And if it's Jane, I would hope that it was a case of her instincts kicking in because that would show real improvement. We're going to skip down to the end of this match because there's really not a lot here. I mean, this is a cold match with an angle that doesn't mean anything and probably not going anywhere. So, at the end, the disciplinarian tosses Foxy Fierce out. Now, um, Candy Crush is the legal person in this equation. You know, they, they had their little smas that took place in the ring between all four people the last thing being is when fierce gives a rear end to the uh, gi jane that puts her down the disciplinary tosses fierce out and then bouncing off of the ropes and getting a good run to start candy crush flies across or runs across and she nails the disciplinary in the mouth with a big superwoman cr- punch or the candy crusher or whatever they call it and the disciplinarian didn't so much drop to the mat as she crumbled to the mat. Like she she took that hit and just like oh just just kind of slowly dropped down. So yeah, it this was all right. That that's that's pretty much what I could give it. This was all right. It. Started going down just because of the reasoning behind this match. The reasoning behind this match seemed very silly. Like you're gonna feud over that, really. Anyway, the next segment is a preview of next week's main event: Princess Ozzy taking on Penelope Pink. The narrative of that package being that Ozzy's been chasing the title, which she has not. She, I mean, I guess we would say chasing it within the last three to four weeks, sure. But they're trying to make it sound like she's been, this has been her goal and she's been going after this thing all along. I, no, I, I don't think so. But for the sake of the show, you, you just go with it. That was the first 
disputable thing. The last match, that was the first disputable thing that we had going on here. This match coming up is the next. It is Fury, Holiday, and Siren the Voodoo Doll against Americana and Spring Break 24-7. Now, keep in mind here that Fury allegedly was no longer able to have her her own partners come out there with her to the ring. Razor was banned. Mesmerai was banned. Which caused her to have to seek out new partners. What I didn't understand is the heavy metal sisters and the dark side, we will affectionately call them, We're engaged in a blood feud a couple of months ago. Now, it's not impossible that people who are in blood feuds turn around and tag up together. It happens all the time. It's pro wrestling. That's that's how wrestling works. But it is also another case of the commentators having to address a rivalry that the viewers never saw. They're, They're addressing... The rivalry between the heavy metal sisters and the dark side to paint the picture of uh, the distrust that could exist there. My question here is not necessarily that they tagged, but what would make Fury go to them? Of all the people that's on the roster that they might have been able to ask, that they might have been able to get the tag up with them, why? Would you go to them? For what reason? It it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me as to why she's like, oh yeah, these, these people that we fought against, let's go get them. They go tag with me. Why was Holiday and Siren of Udadol agreeing to this? Didn't they hate them? Why was Razor and Mesmeriah not there? For what reason were they suspended? Or banned from ringside. I can understand, and this is the part of it that doesn't make sense to me. Razor and Fury, excuse me, Razor and Mesmeriah have been out for every one of Fury's matches in the last couple of weeks. When they weren't her tag team partner, and they would just interfere and do whatever, as they were out there as managers and seconds or valets or whatever you want to call them. I can understand the ref or David McClain saying, hey, look, y'all can't do this because you're interfering all the time. But this is a match where they were going to be her tag partners. Why would they remove her tag partners away from her? That makes no sense. Why would they turn around and ban them now when it doesn't when they don't need to be banned now? We're going into a six-person tag. It's not like they're going to be out on ringside and able to cheat again. In that environment, when they were just at ringside, yeah, I can get it. This is Fury's match. You don't need to be there. But this is a six-person tag. It is pretty much a layup for the Heavy Metal Sisters. So why would they be banned? Doesn't make sense. So this match is, is carrying on. As the referees, as the commentators try to explain this. Now, the other bit of the story that gets explained here, 
And I have to bring this up because this is just awful. And I can't even describe it any other. This is awful. The other angle that is within this match is Americana. And Americana looking to get even, allegedly, with the heavy metal sisters, despite the fact that only one of them of the three is here. So she recruits the dark side. They come out to help, I guess. Fury take on her opponents. Spring Break 24-7 in Americana. Who, you know, the, the, the clear and present baby faces in this, this match. We will go down towards the end because everything else that took place in this match is non-important. So, there's a portion of the match where Americana gets in. She does a move and gets right back out. I mean, she does the, a backwards flip into an elbow and tags right back out. It's the one move she did before she does, does her second and final move of the match. Spring Break 24-7 pretty much carried the load for the baby faces here. And Americana stood out there and watched. She did those two moves, and that was it. That was it. So let's get to where this thing starts to break down. At some point in the match, and I say some some point because this was an argument over nothing. I mean, it, it, and that's not an exaggeration. This was a literal argument over nothing. You had Fury, who was already in the ring, and she was taking on whoever was there. She she dumps out Sandy Shore, you know, by grabbing her by the hair and spiking her, you know, back of the head first into the mat. <clears throat> Um, Americana takes out Fury. That's when uh, Siren comes in and clotheslines Crystal Waters. And then for whatever reason, as she clotheslines Crystal Waters, Fury seemingly has a problem with it. For no reason, it's not like she hit her by accident, but she has a problem, Like, and she's getting in her face about like, what are you attacking her for, and whatever. When she does that, Siren turns Fury around and Fury walks into a spine buster from Holiday. Holiday spikes her and then the dark side, Siren and Holiday walk off. They leave her. And then we get back to the revenge factor because now Fury's in there by herself. Spring Break 24-7 pulls her towards their corner Americana gets up on the top rope, and she does her second move of the match. She does a moonsault and gets the pin. And the commentators, are, and she's got her revenge for them breaking little Levi's tablet and putting her friend out of wrestling. This is where I was like, seriously, are you kidding me? In this person's universe, her tag team partner's leg was broken to the point that she cannot wrestle again. And her son 
not just some person she met, her son had his tablet smashed, allegedly, because they never showed any of this, by uh, the heavy metal sisters. And I'm looking at this. First off, how is this some level of revenge for her? She did two moves. She didn't get all of the heavy metal sisters. She got one, and she didn't even do much there. It was just a regular match. It didn't feel like a woman who was out to get revenge. It didn't come off like that in the least. I have, at points, possibly been unfair to Americana because of how I perceive her as a wrestler. Not as a person, but as a wrestler. And this did nothing to help that image. It was like, I can't work, I'm hurt, and I need to do the bare minimum in this ring. Which is what she did. She did the bare minimum of being in a tag match with Spring Break 24-7. Stay in there, smile, hug, and, you know, wink and whatever. That's basically it. But that, if this is the blow-off for this heavy metal sister's angle that Americana was in, then this is bad. This is so bad. And I don't even know how else to describe that other than this is bad. And it shouldn't have gotten there. How is this a blow-off to some heated rivalry? Is not. So, you have that. I I really hope that if there's some revenge match that's coming, that they hurry up and get this over with. I am completely losing faith in Americana. And then the other side of this coin is the argument from nowhere with Fury yelling at Siren Voodoo doll over nothing because it's not like Siren did anything to her. She didn't clothesline her. She didn't mess up. She didn't uh, cause a near pinfall or a loss for the team by accident. None of those things happened. But, you know, they, they go where they go, I guess. This was passable if you're watching it just for the first time and you just want to get used to wow. This, however, is not passable if you had any inclination as to who these three individuals are and why they're there. If that is what you walked into this match with, that match should have been very disappointing. It should have been very disappointing because there's no way, no way, that if you paid attention to this show, that this could be entertaining. And especially when the commentators are trying to push their narrative of, oh, yeah, just, and she's got revenge for all of those. No, there's no revenge here. There's no revenge. Anyhow, next segment is a video package recapping how Sweet Heat became the Tatum champions and their, their uh, title reign. Uh, that video package also included a promo by by the Heat. Uh, 
when they do their their shtick, they can be a little bit overblown, overblown, and they can be a bit grating on the nerves <laughs> at times. But at least they do promos when the vast majority of the people out on Wild don't. At least they have that to lean on, regardless of how over the top, regardless of how cartoony. At least they do them, and I think that should be commended. Uh, this package also covers the the, or the other half of the package also covers the Tonga Twins and their pursuit of the tag team championship, and they also cut a promo at the end of that, which is far better. This match is a, as spoken by David McClain, it's a false count anywhere. No time limit and no DQ match. Let's see how much of that they actually maintain when they get to it. But those were the uh, examples. Is no time limit, no DQ. It's, it's just... A series of matches, and I keep saying that, but that's what it is. Three of these four matches are just matches. The fourth match, however, is the main event. It's Miami's Sweet Heat taking on the Tonga Twins. So, now we get to our main event. The highly touted Falls Count Anywhere, no time limit, no DQ for Miami's Sweet Heat versus the Tonka Twins for the Wild Tag Team Championships. And, and you know what? I might as well just go ahead and tell you now. This show's an F. This is an absolute fail. And I haven't had one of those since that dreaded episode 25, but this is an absolute fail for me. The video, and I'll, I'll get into why. I mean, G.I. Jane and the disciplinarian taking on Fox Pierce and Candy Crush, that, that kind of pulled the show down uh, based on this absurd angle that they tried to insert into this match. But that didn't totally do it. The sixth person with Fury Holiday and Siren Voodoo Doll had a lot going wrong with it. Not the match, but why were the other members of Heavy Metal Sisters banned? Is this argument that started up from nowhere going to lead to another lengthy rivalry between the Dark Side and the Heavy Metal Sisters? I hope not. And then this is a lame blow off to a heated, what was supposed to have been a heated rivalry from Americana. Like, if that is all it takes for you to feel like you're justified and get and you've gotten even, then she they need to pull her off of TV and put her someplace else until she can get it. Or then they need to talk. To, if it wasn't her decision, the people backstage need to get some other people backstage because this was not how that rivalry should have been blown. Uh, but... All of that leading to this main event is what just took the taco. This video opens up with Dave McClain saying that Lana Starr figured that the Heat don't need her help 
which is why she and Vicky Lynn McCoy chose not to accompany them to the ring. Now, let's think about that for a second before we even go into the match. I, I, that was the first thing I was like, uh, seriously? They chose not to show up. Not they were banned. Not that they had to be handcuffed at ringside or put in a cage so they couldn't interfere. None of that. They decided on their own, despite the fact that she's been there for every other championship match and she's had to stick her nose in a good portion of them, and there's always been this this level of we got to do what we got to do to maintain the championships. But now, against this team who has theoretically chased them for the better portion of 12 months, now... They are, oh, we don't need to be out there for them. They can handle it on their own. Even though the last time they were in the ring with the Tonga Twins, the last time that they defended the titles against the Tonga Twins, it took Vicky Lynn McCoy to get in there and, and clip one of the Twins and cause disqualification so they can maintain the titles. But now they're perfectly fine with them defending on their own. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. When it would have been just as easy to say, this is a no disqualification match, but we have one rule that we are enforcing. Only one. And that's Lana Starr and uh, Vicky Lynn McCoy and any other representative of the Fabulous Four are not allowed at ringside. Anybody that comes in and interferes on either team's behalf. Because they're going to make it fair if you're a general manager. Anybody that comes in on either team's behalf and, and does something for their benefit, whether they are part of your crew or not, either will be fired from WOW or persecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Simple. Simple. Why would you have a situation where it, you know this makes no sense? Like, oh, yeah, they just decided not to be here. It's the, what? So that's the first problem with this match. The second problem is this is announced as a false count anywhere match. There isn't a single effort for a fall on that floor or anywhere in the building. Like they made it out. This could go all night and this could, and and I knew the second he's and I was hoping I was wrong. I was so hoping. That I would be wrong here. I promised you I was hoping I was wrong. But I knew the second he said it's going to go all night and it's going to go all over the building, it's like none of those things are going to happen. None of those things are going to happen. They're not going to go all over the building and they're not going to be all night long. For them to accomplish that, it would have at least taken them saying, hey, we're going to just bump at least three of these matches off of the show and it's just going to be Target Twins versus the Carlson twins. And I knew they were never going to do that. Never. It was going to fit neatly within the hour, just like every other episode does. So I don't know why this false count anywhere thing was brought up. I don't know why he got in there and tried to say it. I don't know why he promoted that with such excitement. Like he was proud to bring it to people when it's another case of uh, you're making promises that you can't keep. 
This is just another case of that. Wow, making promises that they can't keep. They advertised for this and they they barely they vaguely got it. If it was just a no holds barred, no count out, I mean, no count out, no disqualification match, if that were the case on its own, it would make more sense. But them tossing in this false count anywhere match when they were never going to have falls that count anywhere. Why even bother to say it? Why? And that's not a knock on anybody that took place in the match. But they're giving a stipulation that that didn't hold up and it just didn't even exist. So for what? They went out onto the floor as the Tonga Twins double clothesline the Miami Sweet Heat, and they they did fight on the floor. But as I said, no one went for any sort of cover or pin on the floor or any place other than that ring. So I don't know what this, this false count anywhere nonsense was, was supposed to be about. But it just it, it it just didn't do anything for me. Nothing. Nothing. And when I read the comments, I'm like, only the indoctrinated WoW fans would look at this and be like, oh, this is the greatest thing I ever saw. So at some point in the match, Miami's sweet heat goes backstage and they get two conveniently located trash cans, which apparently was sitting right there by the curtains of the entrance. So they get the trash cans and they don't use the entire trash cans. They just get the trash cans and then take the lids off and, you know, I guess try to use them. Uh, and and they do, they being Miami Sweet Heat, do crack the, the Tongans with the trash can lids a couple of times. I was impressed that they got that far, that they decided to use something other than stupid mirrors and had a, a weapon of some sort of substance to some degree. Now, I know in wrestling, the primary reason that those trash cans get used is because they like the sound. And they bend easy. They, they provide you a good sound effect. They bend easy. And they're not overly painful. That's a lot of the reason that you get those steel... Uh, the steel uh, trash cans, you know, not the plastic kind, those steel drum trash cans. <clears throat> so they got to use that a couple of times. Good on them. But, but again, th- this was so pre-planned and where they had stuff arranged. Like I said, the trash cans were seemingly very conveniently placed by the curtains of the door because they went two feet into there, and then they just returned and they had trash cans in their hands. Then they slipped out of the ring and then, what do you know, it's two steel chairs, conveniently two of them, sitting here under the ring by the the entrance. So there we go. More conveniently placed stuff. And that pretty much is the extent of this raucous brawl that the Tonga Twins and the Colson Twins had. It didn't really do all that much. And the chairs were almost pointless. 
They never got a chance to swing him. When they brought him into the ring, they got him kicked into their faces. And then it was just the use of the uh, uh, still the trash can lids. Now, the chairs did come into play a little bit later on. They go back out in the ring, and they start fighting again on the floor. Again, remember, there is no pinfall that took place in this dynamic brawl that they had. Uh, and the Tongans and the Heat, I felt did as good as they could do but there's only so much that they could do. There's only so much that they could do when I'm 90% sure that WoW has parameters on them that prevent them from being overly violent. So at the end of the match, now this is the, oh boy, this is the worst part of the match here. The end, the finish. So picture, if you will, the Tongan twins are down and pretty much split up. One of them's on the floor, one of them's in the ring. And the Colson twins have the one in the ring, of course. Uh, Lindsay, the blonde of the twins, the Colson twins, sets up both of the chairs in seated positions next to each other, like facing each other. Apparently, because they wanted to do one of their, their new finish and slingshot one of the uh, the Tongans into the chairs for the knockout. Not a bad plan, right? So Lindsay goes behind the chairs and she's waiting for her sister, Laurie, to toss whichever Tongan we're gonna say chaos into the, you know, into the waiting arms of her sister so they can put the match away. Then chaos comes back in the ring. So now, being all of four feet in front of her, Lindsay has to stand there and act like she's so stupefied that the Tongan twins are in there that she does not know what to do. She stands there for 10, 20, 30 seconds just watching them try to throw her out of the ring. And when I say try, I mean they really was trying to throw out of the ring. Like it took three times to get that spot right. So the longer that this took, it only made Lindsay look like a bigger idiot for having to stand there and watch her sister get pummeled and thrown out of the ring. The first time they tried to throw Laurie out of the ring, she her head caught the top rope. So that was a that was the first fail. She didn't go out. Second time they tried to throw over the top rope, she like seemed like she was trying to make a jump over it, but not really. <laughs> so they turn her, or one of them turns her and gets her to the rope, and she didn't go anywhere. She just kind of goes to the corner. And then the third time was the charm where you get one of them, and they don't even get close to the ropes when they throw out. They just She just launches herself out and over the top rope. And like I said, keep in mind that while this is going on, Lizzie has to stand there and act like this invisible force field is preventing her from doing anything to stop this whatsoever. This looked bad on screen. It looked bad. So you've got that that's going on. 
And, of course, the steel chair is coming to place because now Lindsay's in the ring by herself. They do a double flapjack, dropping her face first on both of the chairs, which sends her out to the floor, which now opens it up for the one that they threw out to the floor, Laurie, to come back in. So the Tonga twins set the steel chairs down, and I am going to assume that there's probably a mandate Oh, we can't have you swinging steel chairs at each other because we don't want steel chairs being swung. So they never swung them. Those chairs never swung and hit anybody. They were always placed somewhere that they can be slammed on. So I guess that was their workaround. Lindsay's outside the ring after being uh, flapjacked face person to the chairs. Laurie gets back in. And now the Tonga twins hoist her up on their shoulders <clears throat> and they do the Tongan Samoan drop slash neck breaker combo. And there we have it. They do this on top of the chairs. Boom. They nail it. And she took a good hit. I have to say, she, she went down that thing hard. And that was it. That was the end of the match. This was a good outcome. The outcome was good. The match was not. The match was nonsensical in terms of what they set it up with. The match had botches in it. And the match underdelivered. It underdelivered on this big hype that David McClain went in there and, oh, it's going to be all night long and you're going to do it. That whole day, it, it under-delivered. Their best match that Miami Sweet Heat and the Tonga Twins had was their second one. The second match that they had for the championships, the one that they got cheated out of, that was probably the best match that they had of the three. And this only gets ruined by the efforts that while David McClain in particular made to try to make this big and bigger than what it was. And it just, it, I'm sorry, it failed. It failed and it failed miserably. It didn't, it did not do what it should have did. Now, I, again, I know there's going to be people that are going to love this match. And I, I don't fault anybody for that. Everything is subjective, but I have made it clear the times that I give wild problems or things like that or criticize them heavily is when they make things like this happen, when they promise things or they promote things that they have no means of delivering. It is the singular reason why I say episode 25 is the worst episode that they've done. They promised for weeks what they were going to do and they couldn't deliver. Here, a promise was made and it kind of got delivered, but not really. Nothing really happened. And then you had these botches that took place in the match. And like I said, it it just kind of under-delivered there. I, I don't I don't know what else I can say about it. I don't know what else I can say. I know some people are like, oh, this is a Saturday. This is a great match. Uh, 
But that's it. And, and if you go and you look, you you'll see the the, the varying comments of people that's like, yeah, this is this is the best women's wrestling, or this is the best wrestling on TV today, and you know stuff like that. But no, it it ain't. And this was not a good representation of that. I don't have any issues or problems with either team. I actually like them both, but this match did none of them. None of the four of them. It did not do anyone any favors because of what they did and how they set it up and how nonsensical it is. I mean, just the idea that Lana Starr, despite the fact that she has gone out of her way to try to maintain her championships and interfere or step in, or they're going to have to be approved by me, and Vicky Lynn, they, they got to get past her. And all. Despite all of that, somehow somebody made the decision like, oh, well, she just decide not to show up because it's, you know they can handle it on their own. Really? They can handle this on their own? Apparently not. But, you know, that that's that's wild for you. That's wild. It doesn't need to make sense long term. It just needs to make sense today. That's pretty much all they're looking for out of that show. It doesn't need to make sense in the weeks leading up to it. it doesn't need to make sense on the day of when you look back on the weeks leading up to it. All they want is for it to make some semblance of sense that day. And once they move past that, it's forgotten about. They move on. Doesn't matter. This episode, excluding the first match, had a lot of holes in it. As I said, the G.I. Jane disciplinary match, Fox vs. Candy Crush, is a, is a ridiculous reason for them to start this angle. The sixth person, Fury Holiday, Siren of Voodoo Doll versus Americana Spring Break and Spring Break 24-7. It, it doesn't need to begin to explain why Fury is tagged with him in the first place and why of all the times to ban her partners would they ban them from a tag match. Banning them from being at ringside, I can understand, but why would they ban them from being in a tag match? That's what they are. They're tag team partners. So what are you banning them for? Especially when you're going to stick her in a six-person tag. That makes no sense. And then, of course, the main event. And I just went through all the things that that was just wrong there. That that was wrong and and lets you know that they really expect you to have the attention span of a flea. (laughs) <laughs> because if you don't remember what I said, you can't call me out on what I said. I can do it because I write these things down and I take notes and I pay attention. <laughs> but overall, their fans do not give a crap. They don't they don't watch it for the the long build of angles and storylines to get to wherever it is that they're going. They just don't. It's just, this looks good now. And that's all they're concerned with. But, yeah, what, where where was that whole thing going? 
this was an underwhelming championship win. Look good. Look good on camera when they dropped the confetti and all that stuff like that. That part of it looks great. But this was very, very, very underwhelming. I sincerely hope, because they've already begun advertising, next week is going to be Penelope Pink defending the title against uh, Princess Ozzy. Now we get to see, okay, are they going to do this again? Is he going to overhype this thing to the point that this ruins the match? Or is the match going to over-deliver? I'm tending to lean the other way. That is not going to deliver all that well. But we will find out and time will tell. Hopefully, and I say hopefully, that main event match will be better. And it will make more sense. But we, I guess we'll find that out when it actually airs. So we'll keep our eyes open and we'll take a look. Definitely going to watch, you know, and see how this works out and whether it takes Princess Ozzy somewhere or not. Before I go, I just want to point out some notes I was I was making because I said in I think last week's podcast that I was thinking about doing a year in review for a while. And as I was doing that research and as I was going through matches and episodes and going back over my notes and all that stuff, I noticed that I had developed a list of incomplete angles and storylines that took place in a while. Things that were never talked about, things that just weren't addressed, some important, some not, but I mean, they were just things that Regardless of the level of importance, it would have been nice to hear why this thing happened. And I just want to go over a couple of them, you know, real quick. So this is my list of angles and storylines in WOW that are incomplete or dropped off for no reason. And I um, I probably would add more to this as time goes on. Maybe, considering this episode, it's probably going to be very easy to do, but I will endeavor to add more of these, but I just want to get, you know, just to kind of paint the picture of what has been going on here. And that was uh, another swig of coffee, sorry. Uh, Okay, so the first one is Princess Ozzy gets free of Dark Side's control. Now, Unless you looked at the unaired season a while, you probably don't know what I'm talking about, but they I used this one because they brought it up this season that she was under the sway of the dark side, even though they never told anybody how she escaped it. She was allegedly under some sort of spell and doing their bidding Whenever they wanted him to do their bidding. This was when they had the Heavy Metal Sisters and the Dark Side feuding, which is why I'm like, I hope they don't go back into the same angle. We've already done it. Needs to, you know, they need to move on. But her being in their control and then just showing back up one day and everything's perfectly fine, incomplete angle. 
Never brought it up, never explained it. Uh, speaking of angles that took place in the unaired season, Jesse Jones and the, I hate the name, but the Dixie Darlings went into tag team championships. Never mentioned, never explained why Jesse Jones didn't have the tag team. Why did they have to go into another? Well, you know, and, and let, me re, let me correct myself because Jesse Jones mentioned it. And she's probably the only thing that made that even come off as remotely um, connective tissue. But they won the tag team championships and then it just went away. Never to be explained. And never to explain why they had to vacate. And they just said, oh, yeah, wow, they, you know, they had to leave. But Jesse Jones was still there. Why wasn't she able just to find her new tag team partner? The Beast losing the championship to Tessa Blanchard. Now, this one I understand because Tessa isn't there. <laughs> but nevertheless, <laughs> it is still an incomplete answer. They never explained how the Beast got that belt back. She lost it. Dave McClain was yelling on camera, you're not yet the champion. You're not yet the champion. He was doing that, and then they just came back on TV, and the Beast just had the belt again. Why Chainsaw left the dark side? Not explained. Angelica Dante shows back up, and then Chainsaw's with her, and if that on camera's her sister, I can understand it. But at the same time, she was part of, you know, the monster squad, along with Siren the Voodoo Doll and Holiday. And she just left. Just no no explanation to it. She just stopped teaming with him and moved on. Never explained. Candy Crush's quest for her gloves. Even though she Actually won and could have got her gloves back. She, after weeks of trying to get them, she suddenly decided that I don't need them anymore. It was one of the most underwhelming angles I've ever seen. One of the single most underwhelming angles that I've ever seen. It's like, why did I even get myself invested in this? If they were just going to turn around and be like, ah, you know, the, the, the power was within you or whatever. I mean, that, God, Lord. Terrible. Uh, why Commander Spars turned heel as Amber Rodriguez? Never explained. They tried to do some loose-knit explanation like, oh, yeah, she was uh, jealous or, you know, whatever. But no, for the most part, this is not explained. The Heavy Metal Sisters addressed the situation between the Bully Buses that never aired back in episode five there was a point in time the bully busters cut a i mean the heavy metal sisters cut a promo on the bully busters having problems and problems to the point that well you can't get an argument with us and when you're arguing amongst yourselves you know that that type of thing never went anywhere because <laughs> that there was never uh any effort to try to get into the Bully Busters history. There was never any effort to have the Bully Busters show back on screen or illustrate what they're talking about. Those things just did not happen. This You notice in the pattern here, <clears throat> Raina Del Rey gave up on winning the title after the Beast's injury. 
in a kayfabe universe. When you got Randa Del Rey, who was as close to winning the championship as she was, you would think that she would be demanding that she just be given the title or that I get a chance to compete for it or something. She, I was one win away. I was close. And I could feel it. I was about to beat her, and, and y'all took that away from me. So there was... There's uh, nothing that they really did to push any of this for Del Rey. She just kind of hopped back and forth from one thing to the next. She, she said something about the title, but then she, in the same breath, she said something about the tag team title. So she her, her focus has been split, apparently. Where did Malaya Hosaka go? I brought that up earlier. She just, just gone. Not explained. Just disappeared. Why did they have qualifiers for matches that went nowhere? Talked about that too. When you have people that were in the match, Penelope Pink, we'll use as the example, who had the qualifier match and lost. But then she suddenly shows back up in the Gauntlet Battle Royal. And the announcers excused this as well as she got a lucky wild card draw. You know, something ridiculous like that. Advertise what they can't deliver. That's the last time we use today. Because that one they've done a bit and I've just explained to you like two of them advertising we're going to do a gauntlet battle royal and you know the winner that's going to be the, the wild champion the one that Penelope Pink won was no gauntlet battle royal it was just battle royal everybody was already in the ring as far as we are concerned we watched it might have been a gauntlet in, for the people that were there but when you're dealing with a TV product and That that uh that TV product requires them to do something dynamic week in and week out. I can only imagine that trying to come up with a stipulation, a match, a, a combination of opponent, or whatever the case may be, I can only imagine that that is not easy. So I don't want to paint this picture like, oh, they should just do this better, you know. But what they can do is not be hyping up these things that cannot exist within the parameters of why. It's hard enough for them to try to make the next main event interesting and the next main event and the next main event and the next main event. This is a weekly thing that they have to do. It's hard enough to make that, uh, you know, to make that work and to produce one week in and week out. But to have, you know, that and then get on TV and boast, for lack of a better term, how big and grandiose this is going to be. The match that's gonna, you know, rock this building. We're gonna, we're gonna go all night. It's gonna be false count and all that stuff. That seems 
it seems like they haven't thought that through even though again i'm not saying that it's an easy thing to produce or come up with those matches but it seems to me like that wasn't thought through like they didn't quite have their handle on what we want to do um with with these individuals in these matches should we even do these matches my answer would be no they probably should not do do those matches if you can't deliver and these are tape shows they know what they are delivering and what they're not and if you can't get there if you are at a point where your delivery system your editors cannot cut this to make it look that way or your wrestlers have to work within the parameters of wow so you can't be pinned on the floor i can't imagine why <clears throat> but if you're gonna have you know let's just use the match that we just saw if you're gonna have a stipulation that says it's a false count anywhere match then you probably should at least tease false actually count anywhere but that never happens never takes place so those are the things those are that's my little list of uh incomplete slash dropped off angles and storylines and what have you uh we will tune in next week they are advertising for the wild championship so you could quite possibly get the fabulous four going down in flames within two weeks possible time will tell and on that note i want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of the women's pro wrestling network and its podcast the rights and wrongs of pro wrestling i want to thank you for uh for those who subscribe and those who like the video that does help it helps push us up in the algorithm if you haven't done it like it like the video it helps it helps get us more attention more eyeballs on the product and you know how how great is that that we can get those in every once in a while and we will all be looking out i will be looking out specifically for the next one up penelope pink and Princess Ozzy, one-on-one for the WOW Championship. So, on that note, we will end this out now. And I will say what I always say, that this is Mr. Green saying, that this is Mr. Green saying, so long, and we will see you on the next go-round. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the WPN's Rights and Wrongs of Pro Wrestling. If you have questions or comments, please contact us via our Facebook or our YouTube channel at the Women's Pro Wrestling Network. If you're new to the WPN, feel free to subscribe to our channel and like our page. We appreciate your support. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>